This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Everything's customizable these days. Your trading platform can be too. With Thinkorswim, you can customize screeners, charting, and stock forecasts so the market is always tailored to you. You can get started at tdameritrade.com slash thinkorswim. It's Wednesday, May 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me from a safe social distance, it's Bill Mann. Good to see you, my friend. We're actually only six feet away. We're uh... <laughs> how are you, Chris? Each of us on our laptops, but we're in the same room. It's a large room. Chris, who is there directly behind you? Uh, <laughs> um, earnings season rolls on. We've got a um, uh, couple of different e-commerce earnings, but we're going to start with Disney. Uh, um, meaty day, Chris. Oh my goodness, yeah. Disney. I mean, the numbers for Disney were terrible. And, but we expected them to be terrible. And I have to say, as a shareholder, I am pleasantly surprised that shares of Disney are up. And I, I said yesterday, right when the numbers came out, because the Disney reported after the closing bell yesterday, and the stock was down a couple of percentage points immediately after hours, I said to our friend Jim Gillies, this is going to be about the conference call. Like this, what, what happens to the stock on Wednesday? Yes, it will be informed by this report. It'll also be informed by the conference call. And I'm guessing Bob Chapik did a good job. I'm guessing he did do a good job, but as I've said all along, because we're in such a weird period of time, every single company, I think most companies that haven't actually gone up during this period of time, uh, People are only really paying attention to two things. One, what's your balance sheet look like? And two, what access do you, to credit do you have? And in, and in, in, in Disney's case, those things have been and, you know, and will continue to be fine. I was playing a game this morning that I'd like to play with you regarding Disney. So let's, let's pretend that the coronavirus has never happened. And we wake up this morning and Disney has come out saying that uh, the revenues are down 34%. Earnings are down 90%. How much is the stock down? Oh, if the virus hasn't happened? In bizarro, in bizarro world where we don't have a ready-made excuse for every company. How much is the stock down? 30% more? Yeah, more. I mean, it's, yeah, it's getting gutted. And it's, <laughs> it's getting, it's, yeah. It's down from where it was at the beginning of the year, but you're right. This is, um, yeah. yeah, this is not nearly as bad as it could be. Yeah. So D Disney may have the, and this, and this really goes to the transformation of the company that happened under Bob Iger, but Disney is being hit in three different places really, really hard. The cruise ships are shut tight, the parks are shut tight. ESPN is showing competitive knitting or whatever they can get their hands on. Korean baseball now, by the way. I don't know if you've picked a team yet. But uh, um, these are three huge drivers for Disney. And keep in mind that the, the quarter they just reported, their parks were open through the through about the middle of, of March. So most of the damage that's happened to Disney has happened after that, right after the quarter end. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing, but it really does speak to the value of this company's 
the assets that it has in terms of the library of characters that it has. It just rolled out Trolls 2 and it went straight to Disney Plus and has crushed it, which is probably not good news for the theater companies because a, a sacred trust has been broken for for good reason and people understand why. Uh, but Disney Plus carrying its weight, doing a good job. Um, it was a fine quarter under the circumstances. The other interesting thing, I, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but uh, the Disney announced that its Shanghai Park is opening on the 11th of May, which is next week. So... I did see that, and this is this is one more thing to watch in terms of businesses can open their doors and say, come on in, but then it's a question of how many people actually want to go inside. And, yeah, we've got... Yeah. And, you know, so, the, so with Disney, this is absolutely going to be the thing to watch over the next month or so, because hopefully it will provide some clues to the reopening of parks at some point in the United States. But uh, I'm, I'm keeping my expectations pretty low in terms of foot traffic in the parks in Shanghai. Yeah, I think that that's the prudent thing to do because obviously, obviously, even in China, there are not, you know, you're going to see much greater barriers to people traveling from far outside of the Shanghai region to come to, to, to the parks that people aren't, you know, aren't pitching up in airplanes. They're not, you know, they're not staying in hotels. Um, but as a model, it's going to be really interesting to see what Disney does and how it handles being open. And to me, I don't want to call it hopeful because China is far, far, far down the road in terms of the back end of the COVID-19 crisis compared to where the U.S. or even, uh, even Europe is. But they are going to have a model in place for when inevitably, and, I, and, and I've said this all along, inevitably we will beat this semi-sentient beastie what it's going to look like. Last thing I'll just add is uh, one of the questions going into the conference call was the presence of Bob Iger. How how much is he going to participate? Because uh, he's the executive chairman. We've seen these reports that he's now sort of pulled the CEO reins back. I mean, Iger talked at the top of the call, just made made some opening remarks, and then he just handed it handed the microphone to Bob Chapik, and he never appeared again. And uh, as a shareholder. Uh, I feel like that was absolutely the right move. Yeah, this wasn't one of those Friday night lights when uh, when Matt Saracen gets benched and has to try and figure out his way. Um, he, he obviously Bob Iger had no way of knowing when he left in early February that he would that he was leaving and like, hey, here's a basket of snakes, Bob. You know, good luck. <laughs> um, so. It is a very, very good thing. And I think Bob, uh, Bob Chapek would say the same thing. It is a very good thing that Bob Iger came in and it, it at least took one of the reins for the time being. And I, and I, don't, I don't see that as emasculating to, to, to Bob Chapek at all. It, there's a learning curve with every job you go into, especially a company that is as dynamic, as complex as Disney is. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. I noticed... I noticed the same thing. He was, he, he, he started and I, I immediately thought, Oh no, no, no. But then handed it over. And that was the last you heard from him. You could feel his presence. I mean, I felt, but yeah, nothing more from him. So uh, good, 
I, I don't, I can't believe I'm saying this, but kind of good stuff from Disney. Like, okay. Yeah. And the, market, the market, I think, is reacting appropriately. The stock of the day is Mercado Libre. Shares are up 20%, hitting a new all-time high. Uh, Mercado Libre's first quarter was kind of everything you could dream of if you're a shareholder. Active users up. Uh, the total payment volumes through the Mercado Pago was up. Transactions were up. I mean, was the was there, was, there, was there anything bad? Was there anything? I mean, you're a shareholder. Was there yeah. anything in Mercado Libre's quarter or their guidance that made you go, well, that's not so good? Well, no, <laughs> well, that's not so good. Well, I mean, they did they did miss earnings and they have pretty much pulled guidance back for the year. But they also said that they're about to spend something on the order of seven hundred million dollars in 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 Brazil. And they're Brazilian, it's an Argentine company, but to be quite fair, and I apologize to any Argentines who are here with us because you hate hearing this sort of thing, Brazil is its most important market. And Mercado Libre laid out a plan where they are doubling down on their investments into Brazil. They want to win this country. They want to win. So what I saw that was most impressive from Mercado Libre wasn't so much the results. And the results were fine. They were good. They were what you might expect. But the fact that they were saying, look, other companies don't have access to credit right now. And they're playing a game that I have, I've been playing this game of what, what changes are going to be permanent on the back end of this crisis. And one that I think that Mercado Libre is playing right now is there's going to be less competition. There's going to be less competition. So we should drop the hammer now. You look at the rise in this stock obviously up big today. The market cap for Mercado Libre is $37 billion. And when you look at the markets that the company operates in, does that, I mean, you tell me, does, is that the right size? Do you look at the $37 billion market cap and think, now nah, that seems about right? Or do you think, boy, they still have a lot of room to run? I got a lot of room. They got a lot of room, but I think their share price is going to visit lots of places because it is trading at it is trading at nearly absurd multiples, the kind of multiples that you would have almost never seen in a pre-internet environment where you're talking about asset light companies that are pretty good at uh, at generating generating capital returns. So a lot is expected of this company from the existing share price. And let's be honest, through its own through its own missteps or through things exogenous things that have nothing to do with its own operations it could fail to live up to current expectations and that's that's true of any company that is you know that is valued at 10 plus times sales um but yeah no this the this is this is a company that is in latin america which is a which is which is has a massively rapidly growing middle class. Uh, it is, you know, it has to do with Mercado Pago, which is which is virtual payments uh, in a, in in markets that are entirely underbanked, and it is uh, it's just a massive opportunity for, the, for 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 the company. People tend to think of Mercado Libre, Chris, as being the eBay of Latin America. It's just not true at all. I mean, it's eBay plus it's. PayPal, you know, they, they they have a huge number of opportunities in front of them. Do you think uh, the people at eBay, because eBay once owned uh, nearly 20% of Mercado Libre, do you, do you think they 
How much are they kicking themselves? I guess is my question. They're Think kicking themselves. This. Is it daily <laughs> or is it just, or is it every hour? Is it just, is it just when the quarterly report comes out? It was right when you said that when, when, when we started talking about eBay, yes, the answer is yes. I think the, I, I think the uh, capital allocators at eBay may be incompetent between selling out Mercado Libre and selling out PayPal and not holding a, you know, not holding really any kind of stake in either of them. eBay is now a $28 billion company. PayPal is in the hundreds of billions. And it used to be, that used to be eBay's baby. Yeah, 150 billion. That was a, that was a wholly owned subsidiary of eBay. I don't think they're very good at capital allocation, or at least they historically have not been. I, you know, they've, they've had two golden tickets. They're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do with these. Let's, let's, let's not, let's not risk having all that money coming our way. <laughs> uh, before we let's get uh, back to Pez dispensers. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we get to Shopify, quick shout out to TD Ameritrade. In these unprecedented times, having access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions for today and tomorrow. TD Ameritrade is committed to providing you with a range of relevant educational content like timely articles, informative webcasts, and even access to daily live market news so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. To learn more about their breadth of resources, go to tdameritrade.com slash market hub, TD Ameritrade where smart investors get smarter. Shopify's first quarter revenue came in nearly 50% higher than a year ago. Uh, Still not profitable, but the the stock up about 5% today, and it is more than doubled in the past six weeks. Yeah, more than doubled. Uh, It was at $313 on the the 18th of March, and now it is closing in on $700. That's not usually how six-week periods go, Chris. I don't know if you know this, but that's that's uh, you know that's, not that's, that's 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 not even for the growthiest of growth companies. That's pretty good. Um, we've talked about Shopify quite a bit. It is a beloved company here at the Motley Fool. Uh, nearly every service that we uh, you know that we have, it seems, has Shopify in, you know in in the portfolio. Shopify did an amazing amazing job supporting its small and medium business clients during the begin- the early days and up till today uh, with, uh, with, with the, the economic damage and fallout that was falling upon them because of all of the closures from the, from the coronavirus. There's a really cool thing that, that, that came out in, in, in the report, and I, would, I know it's kind of terrible radio broadcasting just to read a big quote, so I'll try and be quick, but they had their, their gross margins for their point of sales were down 71% between March 13th and April 24th. Which is which is a sign of all of their you know all all of their small and medium vendors closing up their physical uh, uh, locations. The retail managers man, merchants managed to replace ninety four percent of those revenues by going online, and that was that was Shopify supporting them, getting them up as quickly as possible, and really averting disaster for a lot of these a lot of these merchants. What they have done at Shopify is amazing, and I think that they've hit hit 
you know, they're at the point where they've, they've had escape velocity. They're not going to be caught. They're at a $2 billion run rate for revenues now. And this company just astounds me. But similar to Mercado Libre, expectations, when you just look at the stock price, expectations are robust, if not <laughs> insanely high. And this, and, and let me, you know, just to, to draw the comparison further, let's go to the market cap. This is an $84 billion company. How yep. much bigger can Shopify get? It can get bigger. I really think it can, but uh, you're, 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 you're entirely right. I mean, it is uh, on a price to sales basis, it is now 53 times. That means if you take the trailing trail 12 month revenues, 53 years worth of that. And that's before you take any expenses like pay somebody, you know, any of any of those sorts of things. So yes, Absolutely heroic expectations on on Shopify, but at this point, given what they've just done under these circumstances, getting back to what we talk about talked about before, I don't know who's going to be competing with them anymore. I don't know how they are going to be displaced. Um, could Amazon do it? I, it's, it's not what Amazon really focuses on. Um, yeah, they're they're in an amazing in an amazing place and they are a company that we should just hold up as one that has managed this crisis exactly right i i don't want to gloss over what you just said there because i think it's an important distinction because when we talk about e-commerce companies broadly amazon and shopify get name checked appropriately so but i think that can lead some people to think they are in the exact same business and they're really not. They're not at all. No, they're not at all. Yeah. They're absolutely not at all in the same, you know, in the same business. Um, last yeah. thing, and then I'll let you go. Which baseball team in Korea have you picked as your own? I have not picked a Korean baseball team yet. In, in Taiwan, I am a big Unipresence 7-Eleven Lions fan. So uh, yes, that's right. The 7-Eleven Lions. Um it's fantastic. There's only four teams. They play with robots in the audience, in, 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 in the audience, all with masks on, socially distanced. They have live cheerleaders, though, which seems odd even for baseball to start with. So I've not picked a Korean team yet. So next time I'm on with you, we will, by that time, you and I will have picked teams and we will be super fans. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. <laughs> Phil, man, thanks for being here. Great. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's good to see you, brother. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.